Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to another week of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge Boudreaux, joined by Shelly Billinghurst. Shelly, how was that vacation? I feel so much better. Yeah? It was so nice. I can honestly say I let it go. And I thought nothing so urgent is going to happen that I can't get away for a few days. And that's hard. It's a hard concept for me. Yeah, it's a hard concept for a lot of us. I haven't taken a vacation in two years now, and I need to. So hopefully next week. But anything exciting happened in Vancouver? Okay, two things. I went to the Imagine Van Gogh. It's an immersive art experience, and it's a kind of traveling roadshow, I think, across North America. That was definitely a highlight. Not that you can't go to it in other cities, because it's actually in Calgary right now as well. Yeah, it is. The other highlight though, would be, I had probably one of the best eggs Benedict (laughs) that I have ever tasted. It was um, honestly like every single bite. It was like, I didn't want it to end. It was incredible. It was made with smoked salmon locks and just a little bit of lemon and dill on a, oh, oh my God. It really was memorable. <laughs> You're like every over 40-year-old woman I know that the main topic of conversation is it's talking food. about food. <laughs> or um, cooking. <laughs> or cooking. It's It just seems to be a trend. But that's great. I look at you, so cultured now. I'm going to the Van Gogh immersion, staying in fancy hotels. God. Yeah. It really redneck Shelly that I know. Sorry. Actually, this is the the side of me. I don't often let you see. I would also like to say how, when you traveled, you were saying going through the Canadian airport seemed really pretty organized. My experience as well. The airports were pretty busy, but people were really patient. They seemed very organized, like even going through the security check and everything. People were just super patient. There were not huge lineups and they seemed well-staffed. But I was only on the Canadian side. So both so in I Vancouver and Calgary, you found the same experience. Yes. Yeah. You know okay. what? Super organized. It was just very little friction. There was no obvious understaffing, even of getting your baggage in on time, stuff like that. Baggage to go to Vancouver for three days. So here I went there with two empty suitcases. Oh, that's right. You were and I shop. came back. Yeah, we were shopping. Shelly, tell us what we're going to talk about. Okay, we got the top four things that are going on right now in recruitment. We're going to start with a topic, and I don't ever assume that everybody uses the same acronyms or same definition. Let's dive into what is an RPO? When would you use it? Why would you want to use it? What are the potential pitfalls? The other thing uh, going on in recruitment is what we're all thinking is where are all the workers? Where is everybody? We'll also talk a bit about employer brand and five things that you can do, like simple, easy things you can do to impact your brand. And let's also talk about the big news this week on what's going on in the job boards world. Cool. Mm. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Start us off with RPO. Let's make sure everybody's using, I guess, the same definition. An RPO is recruitment project outsource, correct? Is is that the definition of the acronym that you use? No, a recruitment process outsourcing. 
Okay. So therein lies, I think, part of the confusion around when we say RPO, what do we mean? Because when you say recruitment process outsource, I immediately go to thinking about the entire function, like the entire function within your organization that is rather than having in-house recruitment teams, you have outsourced the entire process. So is that your first thought when you hear RPO search? So RPO in my mind, I've never heard recruitment project outsourcing, but I guess it could work as well is when a company hands all or a part of its recruitment efforts to a service provider. This is not staffing. Mm. It's not temp agencies. They do a lot more. So basically they become your internal recruitment department on top of it. They don't only fill your roles. They look at your current recruitment model. They leverage tools that they're already leveraging across a ton of clients, which can be a time-saving mm-hmm. and they physically do your recruitment. It's expensive. It's an ideal solution, I think, for startup companies. I think there's a client base for RPO. And if you take a look at the ones that actually think it works really well for is companies that ramp up, ramp down really quickly. That's what's great about RPO, because if they have the resources, it's easier for them to move those resources to another project, another client. So there's definitely that benefit. In which situation do you think companies should look at RPO? So this is from small business to larger companies. Where do you think is the real value behind RPO? So if we're, again, using the same definition, in my mind of RPO was a recruitment project. So when I think of that, it would be the example you just gave, where you need to ramp up really quickly and you need to have 600 people um, in five locations across Canada and have them all start within a matter of weeks of one another. To think that your internal resources could do that is a bit of a stretch. You would really have to put a number of people on it. So that's a great example of when RPO is used. The other one, in my experience, where it's also worked is when you are trying to fill a role that is so senior in high demand the example I would give is like director of corporate taxation. There may only be 12 people in the entire city of Calgary that are qualified to do that job. So that is a headhunt and is going to take at least a hundred hours. And most internal recruitment teams, I don't know about you, Serge, but if you're in-house, there's no way that you can dedicate a hundred hours to fill. So that is the other I think, situation or circumstance where RPO is a good idea. Well, I I personally don't see headhunting as a part of being uh, RPO. I really look as an RPO as you're outsourcing a part of your business. They're basically an embedded recruitment team within your company, same as you would do with payroll or anything else. I look at leveraging a headhunter in that situation. I completely agree. I guess you could call it RPO, but I just see it as a headhunter because I think a lot of companies call themselves RPOs and in reality, all they are either a staffing company Mm -hmm. or a consultant that is just doing headhunting or staffing and calling themselves an RPO. What do you think are the potential pitfalls of an RPO? So basically outsourcing your recruitment process, what would you say are the pitfalls? Yeah. So I think the first one, which is like 
is about as obvious as it gets is if you are going to hand over your complete process, you need to understand that the most important part of your company's growth, which is finding the right talent, the right culture, and you're going to entrust that entire process to someone who is financially motivated to keep those orders coming in. Do you know what I mean? There's no real financial incentive for them to find great long-term fits because then they no longer have a job. So you need to understand the double edge of that. The other would be the cost. It's going to be expensive. There's just no two ways about it because- Well, it doesn't have to because there is advantages for a smaller company. Instead of establishing all your systems, your process, the technology that you do need, an RPO is usually leveraging that same technology across several companies. Hence, you should get a better rate than you starting everything from scratch. So in some cases, it's going to be more expensive. It depends on the complexity mm. and how big your organization is and how entrenched they are in. I think there's example that it's actually going to be a lot cheaper. No, I don't agree, Search. I don't because it can't be cheaper because what you're buying is the speed to result. You're hiring someone or a company who is an expert in sourcing technology, onboarding, recruitment, like the whole process. So you can't have it both ways. If you think you can do this inexpensively, it's probably a bad idea because if your RPO provider is not giving you the top candidates for your company because you negotiated them down to 10% per hire or something like that. No, like you're really shooting yourself in the foot. And I think a lot of employers don't understand that if you're going to outsource it, you're basically buying someone else's expertise. Yeah. No one says it's inexpensive. If you relate to the cost of starting a new department, having all the technology implemented, hiring recruiters that probably don't have the the time or money. It's just time or money. I think it's a combination of both. If someone can come in, and they already have pipelines of that particular role that you're going to be hiring a lot, that's going to save you a ton of time. In reality, that's going to save you money as well. So one of the value propositions of RPO is your cost per hire is going to be lower that you do it internally. Does that always happen? Probably not. But anything else, there's really good RPOs. There's really Mm -hmm. crappy RPOs. I think the last thing we will say about RPOs, if you're looking at outsourcing recruitment, make sure you're actually hiring an expert and doing it. Yeah, For sure. And the, uh, the other thing too, that I was alluding to is it's probably a bad idea if you're going to go with RPO to try and negotiate lower. That's just, it's just generally a bad idea because from the staffing industry side or the RPO side of the equation, you want them to be incented to find you the best talent. For all the workers, tell us about that. I know we're hearing a lot of the government subsidy checks. And I I agree to some extent that's going to have some impact on the fact that we're just not getting the applicants that we would normally. I don't think it's that big of a mystery unless you're fairly new to recruitment and you've never seen low unemployment. This does feel odd to those who've not been through a few economic cycles. Now, I think you and I both have, right? When we've seen basically if unemployment sits anywhere around say four or 5%, I consider that to be a full employment market. That means anyone who wants to be working is working. In some 
parts of Canada. I think we are looking at something close or getting closer to full employment, even going back to say 2016 and 17, where our unemployment rates had in some, at some points gone up to 9%. And even I think at one, per, one point it was 11%. Serge, do you remember that? Yeah, I think so. Around Yeah. There. So then as recruiters, we got conditioned to being inundated with 700 people applying for one job. So part of it is just that. It, it is the fact that we're in a low unemployment market. The other thing though, that I'm hearing more and seeing it firsthand is people took a look in the mirror over lockdown and COVID and went, I think I'm going to try my hand at something completely different. It seems like everyone, not everyone, four out of five people that I'm talking to have either just made a move or they're about to make a move into different industry. Maybe they're doing the same thing, but in a different industry. So I think there's a lot of people looking for a completely new job. What do you think? Are you hearing, feeling the same thing? Yeah, there's a couple of elements that you yeah, mentioned. What are the other there. contributors? I think if we think about it, everyone has said in the US and Canada, it's about the government subsidies. But let's take this in context. This is happening across the world. So, Europe, Asia, North mm-hmm. America, we're all in the same situation where it's really hard to find people. In all those countries, governments had different ways of subsidies. Some did not have any subsidies. Mm-hmm. So just to point at the government benefits as being the reason why there is a labor shortage or a shortage of workers is really short-sighted because I don't believe that's reality. Here in Canada, we dramatically reduced it over, I think it's like almost seven months ago. So basically now those serve benefits, mm-hmm. as we call it, it's around $1,000 a month. So if $1,000 a month is (laughs) preventing people coming into the workforce, I think we need to have a whole discussion on what is a living wage. Yeah, agreed, agreed. So I'm not saying it, it doesn't have an effect, but it probably had more an effect in the sense that some people took advantage of that in saying that they got laid off. Mm-hmm. They got money. They mm-hmm. had the time to reskill. We saw tons of reskilling programs, people wanting, and to your point, have decided what I'm doing on a day to day basis. It's probably what I really don't like. COVID has been scary for a lot of people. You reevaluate what you want to do in life, mm-hmm. reskilling, going for other jobs. Suddenly, these other jobs that maybe you didn't have access to in the past. You now have access because you reskill and they are in a labor shortage as well. So I want to go through the main point. New jobs have been created in this time frame as well. Jobs that didn't exist a year and a half ago yep. now exist, like grocery store delivery. You think about all the new testing type mm-hmm. jobs that are out there, all these companies. So that has made a difference. The other factor why people are not exactly rushing into work is health and safety. If you're forcing your employees into an office and maybe you're not forcing vaccination, that's your call. Uh, But if I'm vaccinated Mm -hmm. or unvaccinated, do I want to go in an environment that I potentially could expose myself? Or if I have young kids, bring it home and expose it to them because they're not vaccinated. So a lot of people are hesitant to go in these jobs that they potentially would be dealing with people day in, day out. We're talking about the service industry. Mm -hmm. Do you really want to go to a minimum wage job 
where you're dealing with thousands of people every day, potentially exposing yourself. And the next one, the caregivers, a lot of with daycares closing, with schools closing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there has been a ton of people that they have to decide who's going to take care of their kids. Yeah. And, and it's women. It is. It's fallen a lot to it's women. It's mom. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. I've seen it firsthand. Yeah. That's exactly what's I know. happened in, in my household where my wife is not working anymore and is basically to take care of our kids. Is it well, right? But- Serge, may, may I please ask, don't think she's not working. Oh, well, she is. Sorry. Very good. <laughs> yes. Point. And she so is working I way think, harder than I am. Right. If it had been me and I had little ones at home and then I had the opportunity to day in, day out, and then I decide, do I want to go back to that work environment where I don't know who's vaccinated, who's not, the work has changed. A lot of companies, and when we think back to when the first wave came through, companies started letting people go. Like you remember when we had uh, Michelle on the show, Michelle Berg, and she talked Mm -hmm. about percentage of work that her company did in layoffs. Like they were flat out busiest she has ever been. And let's not forget how companies started to let people go left and center. Now they want you to come back and they're going to ask you to do what? Like you just let go 80% of the team. And yet if you were, people consider themselves, oh, I'm supposed to feel lucky that I get to come back to this. I think a lot of people are reevaluating that and saying, I'm not going to forget how many of my friends were laid off or let go when you first had the big panic in April and May of 2020. I think people are going, you know what? I've had some time with my kids and I think I'll stay home with them. I completely agree. I think we've seen that. And to that point, we've also seen some people that were potentially laid off and they've just decided to retire early uh, instead of going back in the workforce. I think definitely that's been <laughs> right? an impact. The other one that we don't talk a lot about, but with COVID, yes. it's really changed the world of migrant workers coming into a country yes. where a lot of countries have basically put restrictions on, on newcomers coming into, obviously, with how COVID has affected yep. different worlds. So that's been a massive impact. And if we look at in the same vein, relocation. We've all yeah. been in the position to get the talent that we need. We need to go find it either in a different country, a different region, and the propensity of people to relocate has gone down dramatically. And don't forget the flip side of that. Like we're not bringing in people like you think when you go to Banff and everyone has an Australian act, that's a huge kind of working vacation. And none of those people came in. Now, the flip side, Serge, you and I know this for a fact, that if I'm going to be a remote worker, I no longer am restricted to jobs just here in Calgary. No. So not only those who are going to change jobs, they've made a decision that you know what? I can go work anywhere. Yeah, that's had a of impact mm-hmm. in especially small, smaller towns. So yeah. people that couldn't find jobs in the sector they're in, they end up working at the convenience store. Now, if they're, say, a software developer or a product manager, they can find a job anywhere in North America because these skills are in high demand. Yep. They don't need to be in that particular market. So I think if we look at all those mm-hmm. factors, that's where the workers are. Are they coming back? 
Yes, they're coming back, but they're not coming back back. (laughs) to where they came from. Some won't. If you look at your sector, some won't. And this is, I've been talking about how you automate uh, jobs for a long time. And I've always had a lot of people kind of react to that negatively. But in reality, we're all coming to the conclusion there's a lot of jobs that people are not wanting to do. So as a company, as a Mm -hmm. business, what do you do? You try to automate as much as possible Mm -hmm. to be able to execute for your clients, your customers in whatever industry you're in. So I think that's the biggest thing is how can you be more efficient and how can you think differently? I think you need to think a little bit out of the box of what those jobs are, how they can change because some workers will come back. Yeah. But there's well, some that won't be coming back to your industry and you have to be ready for it. Business does not go away. And one last point on this is it is capitalism in the sense that if you need to pay your workers more to mm-hmm. get them employed, you need to pay your workers more. You can't come to me and you're paying minimum wage and saying, I can't find anyone. That to me is the laziest excuse in the world. If you cannot mm-hmm. afford to pay the wage for you to have people in your business, do you have a business? Good point. I love that point. And do you know, I think here's a good example, Serge, of something so easy to automate. When you think of what we talked about last week in recruiters, high demand, right? What is the one thing all of us hate doing? Scheduling. Yeah. Like honestly. I don't know any recruiter who loves to schedule interviews because it's so anyone in life that likes to schedule. Exactly. So automate it. So there you go. There's a free tip for everybody out there listening. Automate your scheduling part of recruitment and you'll probably attract more recruiters. So last week we talked about how you should focus your job ad into more to what the actual job is. Yeah. But I want to come back to that. We talked about employment branding is not being the main focus of your job ad. But I want to make it clear that employment branding is still very critical, still very important. And mm-hmm. we are not doing a great job, especially in this tight labor market, really finding a way that differentiates ourselves and makes us really stand out. You look at employment branding, it can seem very overwhelming. So what I wanted to do in in this segment is really break down some quick tactical Mm -hmm. items that you can execute. So what can you do right now? And I wanted to go through a couple of points. Last year, we started to see a lot more people leveraging user-generated content. Basically, Mm -hmm. that means we get the employees, the talent to create content and We saw a ton of it. We We, saw a ton of bad content as well. And a ton of really fun content. Exactly. Like, honestly, who was it? I think it was actually something you did where you had one of your leaders standing in front of his pantry and behind him were cans of Superman soup or something. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, it was so good. It was so authentic, right? It Was that expensive? What did that take? Did no, you have to send in a film crew? No. So yes. This was all an iPhone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so what it was is we did, since everyone started working from home, we mm-hmm. did basically cribs. If you remember the old MTV yeah. show, which yeah. is basically the same so music clever. in the background and doing and it worked really well. And mm-hmm. actually it aligned with our employer brand because that company was always a work from home type of situation. But we've seen bad 
user-generated content. We've seen some that can be improved. The great thing about user-generated content is very authentic. Maybe too authentic in the sense that I think we can reposition Mm -hmm. that content with giving a little bit more guidance to these people creating the content. How does this relate to what our employer brand message is? You're probably losing by doing that 10% of how authentic it is, but you're getting something that's a lot more professional. Let's get people out of their bedrooms. Let's get them in more social settings. (laughs) So there's ways to actually increase, but you said that's so weird. I know what you mean. People who were working out of their bedrooms and you can see that they didn't even think of that. Yes. That's what I meant. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Boy. Because if you're creating that type of content in your bedroom, probably don't share it. Well, yeah. And that was the thing. The other thing, I think you're totally right. And I just wanted to point out if it wasn't already obvious is with some structure to user generated content, it keeps the momentum up. Yeah. If it's just a one shot, like, and that was the unfortunate part because there was some really clever, fun things that were happening, but we only saw them once and then it died out. So a little bit of structure um, and scheduling so that I know that the second week of May is my turn to do some user-generated content or my department. So yeah, a little bit of structure and a little bit of scheduling goes a long way. Yeah, I agree. And very good point because I think that helps really the employees and in if they have direction, it definitely makes it easier for them to be able to execute on it. Yeah. The other item that for your employer brand, we all talk about work from home and that's become a really hot topic overall mm-hmm. as far as people coming back into the office. Mm-hmm. What I've realized in doing some research on it is there's really not a work from home type of guide out there. Companies that are telling their employees, Here is where we stand on working from home on a hybrid solution. Like Mm -hmm. the research does show that around 60 to 70% of the people are looking for a hybrid work environment. What is a hybrid work environment for you? Is it Mm -hmm. going into the office once a day? What's the expectation when you work from home? Because these are all questions that the Mm -hmm. recruitment teams are getting and they're not able to answer because reality, no one has an in-depth and even really thought about what it means. I think we've all thought about it on the surface, but it's time to really dig in deeper because hybrid working is not going anywhere. You might as well have that tight. What do you think about that, Shelly? No one has it figured out, for sure. And rather than have a policy statement, I'd really like to see just something about where you're at now. Because what we saw happen even just late last week with some of the big players now saying, okay, I think, was it LinkedIn said you can work from home now forever? Well, really forever? I think what's important is that you just say that, hey, we're working on it right now. Here's what we're thinking. Here's what is working for us and why we have some roles within the company have to be scheduled on shifts to be available to answer client questions, stuff like that. But just some sort of statement that your employer brand is going to be sending a message out that at least we are, we're working on it is better than saying nothing. 
The next thing that I found interesting, I'll talk about, say, software development, web developers, what they're looking for. And I think what we're seeing in recruitment marketing is mm-hmm. completely off base. So one of the things that these folks are looking for in every industry is something different. So they are looking for the ability to solve complex problems. We're trying to recruit market them with things that they don't really care about. Oh my having, God, you're so right. Like oh my having God, snacks I know. in the you're, office. I know having uh, the ability, but we are not. Or they have accidental death and dismemberment benefits. Ooh, <laughs> we're not geeking out with them. I we're know. I know. Like, who cares? The message they're looking for. Why yeah. are we not telling them the types of problems that they, they will be solving on a day to day basis? Such a good point. Oh and this God. is across every industry. Yeah. Everyone yeah. wants to solve problems, in my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. And we're not doing that in recruitment marketing. We're just selling. It's like in sales, we're selling the, the features we're not selling the benefit and yeah. what they're actually attracted to. So that's a, another item. Yeah. Um, Great point. One of the things that you've talked a lot about, and I think this one is really important overall is all these grandiose messages that mm-hmm. we're saying is we're diversity inclusion, but there's nothing hard that's telling us what are you doing in diversity and inclusion? Mm-hmm. Like your example, and I love this one because I use it all the time, is we're a friendly place for women to work. Do you have uh, mentorship programs for these people to get promoted? What's your percentage of female executives compared to Mm -hmm. male executives? Why are you not putting those numbers out and really getting to the basics of what you mean instead of these statements that really don't mean anything? Give us specifics. So Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that I think you should be working on. Focus on specifics, not just grandiose statements. And if you want to put those grandiose statements, great. But line up why that is true. Because I think Mm -hmm. all job seekers out there are sick of just these generic messages that don't mean anything, that don't make you stand out. This is a way to really stand out. Put Mm -hmm. it in black and white why you are different and why your statement is true. Yes, I know. I think it's in the absence of not knowing what or how to do it. But I, simply put, Serge, it, it really is show us. Show us. Yeah. Just show me the receipts. Show me the receipts. <laughs> I love it. Perfect. Okay. You know, I spent a lot of my career in the job board world. You and did. After looking at the revenue numbers, my old company at Recruit Holdings, who owns Indeed and Glassdoor and Zip Recruiters numbers, I'm like, shit, I should have <laughs> stayed in that industry. Because right? the money is rolling in, to give mm-hmm. you an idea. So Recruit mm-hmm. Holdings owns Indeed and Glassdoor. So their revenue was up 39.8% year over year in the last fiscal quarter. Recruit Holdings itself is a massive staffing firm in Japan, but what they call their HR technology part of the segment of their business, which includes that Indeed and Glassdoor, they were up 148%. Get out. Yes. And this is really a surge Holy in demand shit. for sponsored jobs. Yeah. The other one, so Zip Recruiter, very similar position. So Zip Recruiter reported their second quarter revenue rose. with revenues of $103 million, which is the biggest quarter they've ever had. 
and they're adjusting and both of them are adjusting their revenue guidance for the rest of the year pretty dramatically. Like to give you an idea, ZipRecruiter is saying their revenue will uh, continue to rise between 77 and 83% year over year. We're all seeing it. Like it's a direct correlation to the demand in the market for talent and the easy way to be able to try to get your message out there. And maybe the lazy way to get your message out there is to go in Indeed and Zip Recruiter and post your jobs. What's your overall thoughts on those numbers? Um, Shocking, but in a way, because it's really hard to get your head around that sort of jump. Because I think, was it just a couple of weeks ago that LinkedIn also released their advertising dollars and it as well was way beyond what anyone expected. But that was the marketing segment, correct? So right. that was right. LinkedIn. That was not in the job board world. This is just advertisers selling products or their services, which they saw a dramatic increase. LinkedIn is seen as a platform that uh, you can easily really target to the correct audience. But mm-hmm. I think the big job board players are going to continue seeing dramatic rise in revenue for a while. But part of the challenge that they're going to come across is they're not delivering results. They're having a really hard time delivering results because it's a two-way marketplace and you need the job seekers and job seekers, there's less and less of them that are jumping on job boards and looking for jobs. So these companies that are spending in a very competitive market, because we all know how Indeed works, basically the busier they are, the more money they make because they can charge more just based on that demand is companies are going to be like, shit, there's got to be a better way. I'm now paying two to $300 an applicant in certain mm-hmm. situation, and they're not converting and they're not high quality. I need to figure out something else I can do. So it's a double-edged sword for these big players. Yes, they're doing great. Revenue is going to rise for a while. But also at one particular point, companies are going to demand results. Mm-hmm. And I don't think these job boards can deliver results in all cases. So the other interesting part of what you were just talking about was what they are forecasting for the remainder of Q3 and Q4, because we all know what's happening in October. And they're obviously not forecasting that Google for jobs is going to even have a dent. I'm drawing the the line myself. Is it unknown how much uptake Google for jobs is going to have for the candidate market? In the short term, Google for jobs is, is basically they're cleaning up their site. There's no expectation on any right. major That's why Google for job in the near future. Mm-hmm. And they're not monetizing it. Companies are are not going to stop spending on ZipRecruiter or move their budget. You can't move your budget to Google if you want to, unless you did Google AdWords, different things, but you can't move it for Google for jobs. So I don't see it as a short-term blight in in any of the big Mm. players. Google for job is a long-term play. Two years, three years from now, it will be interesting to see what it looks like. But for now, you're right. Like Google for job is not even under radar in the short-term. Yeah, cool. Cool. Perfect. What do you have for the rest of the week? Anything exciting? Any other vacations? You traveling the world anywhere else? No, I'm going to pretend though that I'm traveling the world. Global Fest is still happening here in Calgary. So I did get some tickets for Global Fest. I'll attend that this weekend. So how about you? 
What is Global Fest? So different days feature different countries oh, okay. of their music, their food. Yeah, I know you're not very cultured, Serge. No, just, you know where I'm going? In your white bread world. I, I'm <laughs> buying tickets for the 90s electric circus show, downtown outdoor show. So this is September 26th. Oh, so I'm in. Every band. Aqua, come on. What's better <laughs> than of Aqua? Base. Ace of Base, BTS, <laughs> Love Inc., like all these bands. Those are the kind type of songs when I used to go to clubs in the late 90s that were playing. That is my culture. But thank you, Shelly. Have yes. a fantastic week. Hey, see you soon. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.